Welcome to Made for Another World podcast with Aaron Alvarado and me, Jacob Simmons. Each week, we have distinct and stately conversations regarding Christian books, stories, songs, and sermons with the hopes that we will walk away a little homesick for the world we were made for. This is episode 11, Encouragement by Mark Chansky. Mark labored as a full-time pastor for nearly 40 years in churches in Ohio and Michigan. He holds a bachelor's degree from Cornerstone University and a Master of Divinity degree from Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. He teaches hermeneutics for the Reformed Baptist Seminary in Sacramento, California, and he now serves as a coordinator of the Reformed Baptist Network. Mark is married to his wife, Diane, and they have four sons, one daughter, and lovely grandchildren. Now, the title is pretty vague. So to clarify a bit, here's the excerpt from the back cover of the book. In a crisis, the body's burst of adrenaline can boost the average person's physical abilities so that a man is able to lift a car off a trapped bicyclist and a mother can fight off a polar bear threatening her son. With encouragement, Mark makes the case that encouragement is able to do emotionally and psychologically for the soul what adrenaline does for the body. While Christians are sometimes reluctant to offer encouragement, we must do so in order to love our neighbors as ourselves. Building on the foundation of the gospel as the ultimate encouragement from God, the author, using quotations, historical references, illustrations, and examples, sets forth the Christian's obligation to offer encouragement and then show us how we can be encouraging in our families, in our churches, and in the world. I like it. Me too. I think it's uh, Ray Ortland. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, no one we meet suffers from being over-encouraged. Mm. And <laughs> as, as one who is, as one who does not suffer, as one, who's, as one who needs encouragement, <laughs> I'm for that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's, yeah. absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, and one note about Mr. Mark Chansky. Uh, we know him. Yeah, we yeah. do. Well, at least we know him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he knows us. Well, he probably does. He knows us, but yeah. he may not remember us. He remembers us, but doesn't know us. That's the way Both and. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he, I saw him after, so met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked you know, questions about my family, mm-hmm. and then the next day knew my daughter's names, and then six or so months later remembered my daughter's names again. Uh, so it's very impressive. That is impressive. Um, so maybe he does know us. Maybe he knows everything about us. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. Probably not probably. <laughs> I, I think he also knows everybody. Like I think anybody listening to this is like, yeah, I know him. Yeah, we all yeah. know who he is. Yeah. That's what all One saying. of my best friends. <laughs> That's just the kind of guy he is. With all that to say, though, uh, the, the topic of encouragement can't think of a better person to write the book. For sure, yeah. 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 Okay, well, he starts out in his preface by saying, This book is filled with quotations, historical references, illustrations, and examples related to the virtue of giving encouragement. Such allusions are not blanket endorsements of anyone's entire life or body of work. Winston Churchill, for example, is cited as a noble model of encouragement for the United Kingdom in its darkest hour. But this does not deny that Prime Minister Churchill was a historical figure riddled with flaws in both lifestyle and creed. Nobility and wisdom can and should be recognized even in defective people. 
The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, his spiritual hall of fame, praises virtue and nobility in such dubious characters as Barak, Samson, Jephthah, even though they did things that make us wince and blush. Even the more high-profile patriarchs referenced there, like Noah, Abraham, Jacob, and David, who are lifted up as our spiritual models, have stories checkered with foolish, shameful, and questionable exploits. Did I mention Rahab the harlot? On Mars Hill, Paul used inspiring quotations from two insightful Greek poets, Epimenides the Cretan and Eratus the Cilician, but neither of them were orthodox and safe guides theologically or philosophically. In teaching his disciples about the virtue of discerning foresight, even our Lord Jesus references the example of an unrighteous steward. When urging them to persist uh, to persistence in prayer, he cites the behavior of an unjust judge. In keeping with this teaching style, the Puritans unapologetically made ample references to noble traits and questionable characters, such as Alexander the Great, Aristotle, and Julius Caesar. The Puritans heartily recognized these figures sparks of greatness without endorsing their entire careers. It is in this healthy tradition that I have made ample use of fallen humanity. We are all broken toys on this island of misfits, and none of us can be lifted up as unqualified paragons of excellence. There's only one who is good and needs no qualification. I love it. Yeah. Am- ample use of fallen humanity. Like, that's that's a really good way of putting it, Yeah. right? I mean, and that's kind of our philosophy here on this podcast to to use fallen men and women because they all are we all are everyone is (laughs) uh and and find the good in that obviously we're not going to endorse you know those who i'm not gonna say completely fallen because i guess we all are completely fallen but (laughs) (laughs) those who uh who reject truth essentially you know uh we're not going to pick the osteens out not to drop names but we'll drop that one yeah Uh, (laughs) but there, but we're all we're all fallen. We're all sinners, and only one was perfect. And and so we we're picking, selecting authors and and songwriters and, and all of these things that we believe and hope point everyone to the one who is not fallen, right? And so using them, what did he say? I just said it. Ample use of fallen man. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great description of it too, because it. I mean, you can't find. There, there are no moral examples, truly, uh, like full and full in Scripture even. You know, like you don't have, okay, Jesus. Um, but outside of that, you know, you do have, everybody kind of has their hiccup or their hiccups. And uh, and so I think it's key for us to, as we're doing something like this, like we don't 1,000% endorse anyone, right, <laughs> except mm-hmm. for Christ. And so right. the degree to which Christ is, is glorified, amen, absolutely. And if not, uh, like maybe there are some books that we've done that these authors will fall off. Um, we've seen it happen hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. And so the degree to which uh, that does happen, like a, a, again, I guess it's kind of a fail-safe to say, we don't fully endorse any of them, any of them. <laughs> but we endorse the truth that they have in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. And, and, I, and, a, I, and I feel like it's safe to say that like we, we endorse them to the level that they would want to be endorsed, yeah, right. knowing that they are, all, you know, we're not like, well, we don't endorse you, but this book is really good. Like, <laughs> we endorse you for who you are, knowing that it's not 100%, you know, right. and they would say the same. Right. <laughs> all right. Just a, a few pages on. In his introduction, he writes, uh, well, he starts with a, a quote from Jonathan Edwards. He says, let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak. 
Why write a book on encouragement? Why not write about something important like the gospel? Encouragement? Sounds like something right out of our politically correct pampering culture or something an ego-stroking motivational speaker would address. I understand that reaction. So does pastor, author, and seminary professor David Murray. Regarding some gospel-loving Christians' reluctance to give encouragement, he writes, Sometimes even Reformed theology, or I should say an imbalanced Reformed theology, could deter expressions of appreciation. Affirming good works? Don't we believe in total depravity? Praising people will only make them proud. Isn't humbling people our aim? Soli Deo Gloria. Where does people praise enter the picture? Let me explain why this book is important. The gospel gloriously reveals the one thing needful. The good news that we, as hell-deserving sinners, can get right with God through the redemptive work of His Son, Jesus Christ. That magnificent truth satisfies our vertical and eternal needs by reconciling us to our Maker, who becomes our eternal Abba Father. What could be more encouraging? Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can close the book. We're done. Amen. The uh <laughs> I I I see his point though. Like why why there's a hesitation mm-hmm. um especially in in today's like American culture, like uh participation trophy type stuff. You know, you it's just all about encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um even parenting so I, I've read a couple of parenting books, and, and one thing that they say is, like, encouragement is key. Even dogging, dogging, dog parenting, dog <laughs> owning. Yeah. When you own a dog, <laughs> dogging. Um, when you, they say, like, positive affirmation is key, mm. like, maybe for a dog, sure. Um, but everything is about, no, you have to, you can't let them know you're disappointed. Uh, you can't, like, show any sign of... Disappointment. Disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you know, no, uh, everybody's a winner. Like, oh, it's so encouraging. Mm. It's like, well, maybe I understand that. You know, like maybe mm. the culture before us went too far in the other direction and everything was critical. I don't know, but uh, it's exhausting. It, I'm always right. <laughs> so then I'm, I'm going to be uh, entitled. I'm going to be... Mm. I'm going to never know how to be told that I'm wrong and never grow, you know? And, and that's, uh, so I, I, I hear the, the concern that he has there, but I love that he's just like, no, no, no. Uh, let's get back to the, the, the base of it all. Mm-hmm. The gospel itself is encouraging and we need that. Yeah. Like, yep. I'm exactly. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, and, and like you said, especially in, in reformed, like it's like, don't we just focus on, you know, we are depraved totally like so what is there what encouragement can we give ourselves you know or to ourselves or to others but like you said there's the it's like a i don't even i don't even i don't even know but it's like just like you said there's you're encouraged through the gospel you're not i'm not encouraging you because of who you are and then adding the gospel to it right you know you're encouraging others with the gospel that's a completely different type of encouragement not only is it true but it's way better right. <laughs> because it's the gospel because it's Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very good good starting point for the book. And then as we'll see throughout the rest of these sections, there's uh, a lot of real heavy gospel is encouraging. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good way to put what he's trying to put. So well done. Yeah, I like it. Good job, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on a little bit further, he writes in 2012. 
Lauren Karnacki, a 22-year-old woman in Glen Allen, Virginia, lifted a portion of a BMW 525i off her father when the car toppled from a jack. In 2006, Tom Boyle, a man in Tucson, Arizona, hoisted part of a Chevy Camaro off a trapped, screaming, and bleeding bicyclist. Lifting enormous things can, lifting enormous things can be Hercules-like, and so can fighting fierce foes. In 2006, Lydia Angiou went toe-to-toe with a polar bear in northern Quebec. She ran toward and tackled the beast to protect her son and his friends while they played hockey. Chemically and physiologically speaking, what happened in these three cases to transform the weaklings into Hercules? Adrenaline happened. A chief factor in pushing the body to extremes is the well-known adrenaline rush in which hormones such as epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, surge out of our adrenal glands into our blood and throughout the body. Gordon Lynch, a physiologist at the University of Melbourne, Australia, explains, The release of adrenaline is rapid, seemingly instantaneous, so that we can respond accordingly to fight-or-flight situations. Adrenaline dramatically boosts breathing and heart rate, flooding our muscles with extra oxygenated blood from more forceful exertions. Nerves from the spinal cord running to our body's muscles are more easily able to recruit motor units, again harnessing more of a muscle's potential strength. The more motor units that are recruited, the greater the force that can be developed, says Lynch. The product is what physiologists call hysterical strength the exertion of extreme power and energy by humans beyond what is believed to be normal. The internal physiological drama is fascinating. When alarmed by a sudden emergency crisis, the human body transforms. The stressor, for example, the sight of a loved one pinned beneath a car or charged by a bear, stimulates the hypothalamus. This region of the brain maintains the balance between stress and relaxation in the body. When alerted to danger, it sends out a chemical signal to the adrenal glands, activating the sympathetic system, sending the body into an excited state. These glands release adrenaline, epinephrine, a hormone that creates the state of readiness, helping a human confront danger. Adrenaline raises the heart rate, increases respiration, dilates the pupils, slows down digestion, and perhaps most importantly, allows muscles to contract extraordinarily. Bursts of adrenaline during stressful situation Stressful situations can boost abilities far beyond the muscular. Senses of vision, hearing, and touch are dramatically heightened. Thinking clarifies and is energized. Frames of mind change from timidity, insecurity, and self-doubt to courage, resolution, and determination. We normally use only a small percentage of our strength capabilities. But an adrenaline rush can transform a timid weakling into a heroic Hercules. Here's the point regarding the wonder worked by giving encouragement. I'm certainly not suggesting that encouragement biologically stimulates the hypothalamus and in turn explodes a literal adrenaline rush propelling to excellent performance, but I am certainly claiming an analogy. Encouragement is in many ways like adrenaline. My thesis in a nutshell, what adrenaline is able to chemically and physiologically do for the body, encouragement is able to do emotionally and and psychologically for the soul. Encouragement can transform a person's spirit. Wise people know it and tap into it. Hmm. Firstly, Lydia, yeah. the polar bear. Isn't the... Maybe I'm getting this completely wrong, so any bearologists, forgive me. Isn't like the polar bear like one of... I think it's like 
tougher than like a grizzly or something. Like I, I don't so. know, they're bigger and more agile or something because yeah. they're used to swimming and stuff. That's insane. Like <laughs> any human being could just tackle a polar bear. Like first of all, I kind of want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> If I lived, <laughs> that would be so cool. Yep. What'd you do last weekend? I tackled a polar bear and yeah. <laughs> saved my kids. <laughs> anyway, crazy cool. Yeah. Also, hypothetical, how cool would it be if encouragement did give us adrenaline rush? Like if it did give us, like what do you call it, hysterical strength? Yeah. That would be so cool, man. I would just encourage you all the time and you'd just be like, <laughs> tackling polar bears everywhere. <laughs> Uh, but that's a, that's a really cool, I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody put it this way. That yeah. encouragement is basically like the physical, mental, even spiritual equivalent to like adrenaline rush. Like yeah. that's, he's going to get to something. He's, he's getting to something that's really cool, really important. And, yeah. and, it, and we see it, I wrote down some scripture, but I mean, like in first Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. And then it continues. And we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And then in Ephesians, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Like we see throughout scripture, that's just a small chunk of scripture where we were to encourage one another. And so we we see how the physical we see the the physical um, positive effects that we get from adrenaline, and we know that that's important. Like there's a reason our body does that. There's a reason God created created us in a way to where, in that fight or flight moment, our body can do things that we normally couldn't do just day in and day out without that rush. Maybe that's why there are so many scriptures, so many verses that say encourage one another (laughs) because God knows, hey, you're going to need some encouragement. You're going to need some pump it up so you can do what you need to do. So uh, really, really cool connection that he's that he's making here. Yeah. So then the metaphorical polar bear Mm. is sinfulness. Yeah. False teaching. Throwing whatever you want to. Yeah, there you go. Just encourages us to go tackling. Mm-hmm. Go Lydia like on that it. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, and I'm, I'm also, like, I, I'm also in a unique position. Uh, like, I've been encouraged, and I know exactly what that means. You know, like, I, yeah. uh, what it does, I mean, I, I can literally be encouraged and built up by someone's words for weeks. You know, like, I sit there mm-hmm. and I think about it, I'm like, man. That was so kind of them to uh, say, you know, like, <laughs> and I did, it's like almost food for, 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 like I said, for weeks, you know, I just yeah. go, I go back to it. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm encouraged still by what they said. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I, I obviously God has set it up that way. And, but yeah. um, again, drawing that correlation, actually the, so the title is mm-hmm. encouragement mm-hmm. under that adrenaline for the soul. There you go. So it just <laughs> it says it everywhere. Yeah. And, and that's, it, it makes total sense. Yeah. And also when you, like you said, like someone says something that encourages you, like that lingers. And depending on, like I can think of times where someone has said something that was encouraging and maybe I was, you know, discouraged about something and they encouraged me about that situation. Well, then a week or two later, I find myself kind of in that same situation, but then I'm, they don't necessarily, they're not there to give me that same encouragement again, but I'm remembering that encouragement. So it lingers and encourages me through that discouragement again. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like a one done type of thing. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I, yes. Thank you for clarifying that because I yeah. do have like a handful of things that people have said to me 
years ago that yeah. I still go back yeah. to it and still get encouraged from. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. Okay. A little bit further. This is in the chapter of the obligation of encouragement. It says, many Bible passages remind us that our words have nearly incalculable power. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Being encouraging is an obligation we have to fellow human beings, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. The writer to the Hebrews instructs his audience, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another, and so much uh, the more as you see the day approaching. If you saw a child in a restaurant with a swollen face, gasping for air, and you had an EpiPen in your pocket, you wouldn't think of passing by without seeking to deliver a life-giving shot of adrenaline. But some of us pass by our neighbors and dear ones daily, habitually neglecting to inject the encouragement we've, we have within our power to deliver. Scripture warns us against this. Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. James 4.17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now you may ask, well, how do I know if someone needs encouragement? As true at Kathy, founder of the booming Chick-fil-A restaurant chain, helps us here. How do you identify someone who needs encouragement? Well, that person is breathing. <laughs> so good. Mm -hmm. The Obviously, like it goes back to what we said at the very beginning with the Ortland quote, you know, like uh, we've never met someone suffering from being over-encouraged and, mm -hmm. and S. Truicati says the same thing. And uh, having worked for Chick-fil-A, um, like that kind of ethos or, or culture mm -hmm. is absolutely passed down. Like the, um, and, and not just a superficial like, I have to say my pleasure because I, but like they're, they, different managers, different supervisors did different things to truly bring encouragement to you so mm -hmm. that um, what you're, like you're, you're not giving out of an empty cup. You know, it's like your, your cup is full. Like you have yeah. plenty of, of encouragement to give. Uh, and that's why you see now Chick-fil-A workers uh, running down people who stole a purse and uh, reviving people, you know, seizing on the floor fixing cars randomly, mm -hmm. I mean, just stopping cars in traffic, doing all sorts of amazing things mm -hmm. and getting paid <laughs> minimum wage for it. <laughs> um, but I, so to say that, like, that's kind of our obligation as well is is to be that encouragement. And and I've, I've never really considered it that way, that I have a, a duty, which is an obligation, a, a job, if you will, um, to, to say something encouraging as, as far as it is within my power to do so. Mm. How often is that? So often. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and so I, I, want to, I want to be better at that. I want to have um, a, a better, more clear priority of, of that moving forward. Because what the, the passage that he quoted, Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Mm. I feel that. Yeah. I, I, I know exactly what that feels like. And... I guess I've just never really considered myself to have that kind of power. Uh, mm. But what Scripture says is more true than what I think. So true. There we go. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, I I actually work I work for Chick Fil A myself now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hired by them. I don't work for them, but I, I work so that I can get Chick Fil A because mm-hmm. I love Chick Fil A so much. Well so, yeah, also. <laughs> uh, but so encouraging. Obviously, we're going to say that a lot going through this book. <laughs> Very encouraging. A little bit of guilt shaming, <laughs> like the, the the James verse. You you referenced the Proverbs verse, but the James verse one stuck out to me. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him, that's sin, bro. <laughs> like like you said, and we have so many opportunities to to do that. Right. And so, though it may not be intentional, the withholding of that is is sinful. Like we should be looking to to seek and encourage everyone who needs encouragement. And the more that I think about it, and, and you kind of referenced it, like you, no one's complained about being too encouraged. Like I could be in high spirits and re- feeling really encouraged. And if someone gives me <laughs> a compliment or encourages me, I'm going to feel better. Like I'm going to feel <laughs> even more encouraged. So like there's no, it's not like, oh, they're doing good. I don't need to tell them anything. Right. No, like help them get even more built up. Like right. why, why, why just be like, ah, they, they don't need it. This this guy needs it more than him. They probably both do. Like, we probably all do all right. the time, right? right? So that's that's a good reminder. The James 4.17 is hmm. all, always, always, like Mr. Kathy said. Are they breathing? Okay. Well, James 4.17. Yep. So. <laughs> there you go. Okay, question. Yes. The do we encourage those who we can clearly tell are prideful? Mm, sure. Okay. Yeah. Encourage them to be not prideful. Yeah. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you encourage them gospelly, mm. then hopefully that humbles. Yeah, that's like the that's like the the soapy finger in the in the pepper covered water or whatever. You know have what? You, have you never done that? <laughs> no. <laughs> For everyone listening and watching who knows what I'm talking about, if you take a, like, get a bowl of water, yeah. do this with the girls, it'll be fun. Okay. A bowl of water and yeah. just get a pepper shaker and then cover the whole top with pepper. And then get your finger and put some like dish soap on it. Yeah. Just dip in some dish soap and then stick it in and all the pepper goes whoosh, out to the sides of the bowl. It just pushes it away. All right. So that's like the the pride. And then you have the gospel encouragement right in the in the pepper pride. Like <laughs> Super weird, but <laughs> no, I, I like. But it. do that with the girls. That'll be I fun. shall. I shall. Literally and metaphorically, <laughs> encourage them with the gospel and stick their fingers in pepper. And humble them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but a good question, though, like because it could be really easy to be like, "This guy's got a big head." Like right. we don't need to sit here and build this guy up. Right. It's a beating down and building up at the same time. A yeah. gospel beat down right. that builds you up. You know, maybe so. Somewhat, the, the gospel is the the antidote to despair and selfish pride. Yeah, because yeah. it it levels both, like it brings up and it brings down. Right, right. To a proper place. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. it. Me too. Good answer. Good question. All right, back to the book. This is in the chapter for uh, some subtle expressions of encouragement. <clears throat> King David gained access into Jebusite-inhabited Jerusalem, not by way of a direct main gate with a frontal assault, but instead, indirectly, through a secret water tunnel. 
Likewise, we are, to, we are wise to inject the adrenaline of, of encouragement not only through the front door, using the direct methods we discussed in, in all the chapters before, but also by side door, subtle, more indirect methods discussed in this chapter. At the end of Paul's greeting to the church at Rome, he urges the saints to greet one another with a holy kiss. A kiss is a physical expression of love. This kind of kiss is a holy, pure, consecrated, godly kiss, as opposed to sensual, erotic, or immoral. In the Judeo-Roman world of the first century, it was a display of affection and support. Kissing another person's cheek, forehead, beard, hands, and even feet was common. Such contact was typically accompanied by an embrace that comp. Uh, that comprised warm expressions of love and goodwill. The prodigal son's offended father showers with kisses his returning from the far country boy. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Literally, kissed him again and again. It's in Luke 15. After Paul bids farewell to his dear Ephesian elder friends at Miletus, they kissed him. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. As we'll expand on later, this summons to display love by physical contact recognizes the importance of body language as an expression of encouragement to one another. Interpersonal touching is is fundamental to human flourishing. UCLA neuroscience researcher Alex Korb explains, Holding hands with someone can help comfort you and your brain through painful situations. One fMRI study scanned married women as they were warned that they were about to get a small electric shock. While anticipating the painful shocks, the brain showed a predictable pattern of response in pain and in worrying circuits. During a separate scan, the women either held their husband's hands or the hand of the experimenter. When a subject held their husband's hand, the threat of shock had a smaller effect. The brain showed less activity in the pain and worrying circuits. James Merritt writes, A simple touch can convey an incredible sense of love, affirmation, and acceptance. A study conducted at UCLA several years ago found that to maintain physical and emotional health, men and women need 8 to 10 meaningful touches each day. These researchers define meaningful touch as a gentle tap, stroke, kiss, or hug given by a significant other, such as a husband, wife, parent, or a close friend. Now, have you ever, when you think of encouraging someone, Mm -hmm. is that your go-to? Is that what you think of? It's like, I'm going to give them a hug. I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to go kiss their feet. Their beard. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, sometimes, yeah. Like, I guess it depends on, you can kind of tell what kind of encouragement they do need, but, but typically, yeah, like a, you know, Hug is kind of like the the go-to, I think. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily was thoughtful about that. Like, I, mm. I give hugs and, and mm. um, kind of what he talks about, like these simple touches, but I, I don't necessarily, like, it's more of just what I'm sensing and less mm. of a a thoughtful, like, oh, this this actually can do a lot for someone. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I do it more mm. selfishly. I'm like, I need those. <laughs> I don't know. Um but I, I love that he brought this in mm-hmm. because like that's that's a way that we don't necessarily think of at the forefront of our minds is like, oh, if I'm if I'm gonna listen to Hebrews ten and I'm gonna not neglect gathering so that I can encourage someone, uh I I can't give someone a hug or a touch from home. Mm-hmm. Like I can't do that virtually. Yeah. 
And if, you know, if a person needs eight to 10 of these a day, <laughs> well, then if I don't do it, that day might be lost for them. Like mm-hmm. that, uh, literally, that that's what we might consider in that. And so I, mm-hmm. I love that he brought that in, man. I, and and again, I I think I keep saying this, but it's it's one of those things that I know f- firsthand. Like I I have I've been a receiver of just a, a gentle, like hey, I I see you. you know, like nothing else. I I don't yeah. know what what <laughs> they were even thinking, but just the the touch on the shoulder or the. Um, the handshake, the, the, the hug, I mean, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And it was, man, I needed that. I didn't really realize I needed that. Yeah. So I, I love it. I love it. (laughs) I, uh, I don't know if it was like a youth camp or something years ago, or I, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I remember somebody saying something one time about, um, like, recognizing people and and by doing that like so and one thing in it that whoever said that like that has stuck with me until this day hmm. and to where like if i'm just for instance if it's sunday morning and i'm you know, just walking past you know people or whatever and it's obviously typically just the guys but like i'll just reach out and just you know, just a quick tap on just walk by and just you know hey man you know and just tap on the shoulder as you're walking by like i'm not even i don't have time to stop and say hi or you're talking to someone else i'm not going to interrupt you but hey I recognize you like, mm-hmm. and, and I remember whoever said that, I wish I could remember where that came from. But in that moment, I was like, it probably, like, it feels good to be recognized. You know what I mean? So this is like the most shallow form of what we're talking about. This gospel <laughs> encouragement, <laughs> just me being like, Hey, I know you exist, but, but sometimes that's what people, they just need that. You know what I mean? Like right. a lot of times people just feel alone and unrecognized and not seen, but it's like, Hey, I see you enough to take just even to just half a second to tap you on the shoulder and say, how's it, how's it going? But yeah, this definitely hammered home. Like you mentioned the, the importance of community, like yeah. church community, like you yeah. cannot do this virtually as much as you want to say that you can or try, right. like as much as you possibly can get into physical church community. Yeah. And I don't mean going there and start fighting and stuff. I just mean be around other humans. Maybe. If that's what you get. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was that was really really good. I I definitely don't think I on average I'd like to know what my average physical encounter is a day. It's not eight to ten. I'll tell you that much. Like <laughs> living by myself, like <laughs> uh, that seems like a lot, man. But uh, but it does make sense though. And yeah. you know, like I was reading through that, he was talking about you know when you're holding his their the the study they did with wives and their husbands and stuff, and like you think about. Like if you're, I guess, either watching or in a scary movie or something, you know, something happens, what do they do? Oh, they grab the person next mm-hmm. to them. You know, it's like, well, why? Why are yeah. you doing that? Because it there's something in there that makes you feel, oh, okay, now I'm a little encouraged. I'm a little safer. I feel better about <laughs> things. So I think, I bet we do a lot of that more than we realize. You know what I mean? It's just subliminal. like, like Instinct you know, almost. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I bet. Like God has designed us that way or something. Hmm. Hmm. Like he knew what he was doing. Yeah crazy uh i had a professor at tvcc uh, harvard on the hill yeah yeah and uh his name was mr mabe passed away a few years ago but uh was an incredible teacher and i mean, I made sure to have an impact with each one of his students and, and and the things that he taught on were were great it was the first time i enjoyed reading a book and it was brave new world by aldous huxley yeah. um walked through that with us, uh, 
you know, watch Shawshank Redemption, not the whole thing, but parts of it um, in class with us and uh, just talked through what hope means and so on and so forth. But uh, he said one thing that that always stuck with him was when he would go riding with his dad in his truck, um, they would go to the store or something. Um, his dad would wave at people and he was like, who's that dad? I don't know, son. And then you'd wave at the next guy and he's like, who's that dad? I don't know, son. (laughs) So on and so forth. Like he just, he didn't know these people, but he was Mm -hmm. waving. And then Mr. Mabe kind of brought it to the point, like uh, he did that to show people like, hey, you exist. Mm -hmm. Like I I see you. And um, so now I, like truly (laughs) when I'm driving down the road, I I wave to random people, you know, and uh, I hope somebody asks me like, who was that? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) <clears throat> maybe maybe my son will ask me so I can say a, the whole yeah. line. There you go. I don't know, son. I don't know, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a, we'll just continue with that same thing, but, uh, and it made me a little bit sad when I stopped seeing the guy, but so the the road that kind of runs, the main road that runs close to my house, yeah. um, like three or four times, this all happened within like a couple of months when I was either on my way to work or back or something. There was this older gentleman, probably in his sixties or something, just walking, you know, just going for a walk. He, I mean, the biggest smile on his face and waved at every single car, which is like a car every (laughs) 1.3 seconds. But it was just, Hey, you know, the second his hand went down to his hip, brought back up again to wave to the next car, big old smile. And the first time I saw him, I was like, what is this guy doing? Who's he? Does he, do I know that guy? And like the next time I was like, I had a big smile on my face. You know, I was like, I feel so good right now. This guy's making me so happy. Everybody that drives by, he's making happy. And then I didn't see him again. And now I don't know where he is, but it makes me a little bit sad. (laughs) But I was happy for a few months. (laughs) But kind of to the same thing, you know, it's just like, it's so little, but it makes you feel good. Right. I don't know. It it, it is a cool design that that God has worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, question. We'll just drag out this this point forever. But it's my turn. That's a good question. <laughs> have I ever asked a question? I don't know. Man. I don't know that I have. <laughs> Would you be for or against? Now, I'm not asking you between you and me. This is okay. just in, in general. Right. <laughs> for or against culture going back to the holy kiss, greeting mm. each other with the holy kiss. Yeah. I mean, maybe some cultures still do that. Like, isn't that like European? That's still kind of a thing, you know? For sure. It's like super weird in America, right? To right. just walk up and, you know, like on the cheek or even to the side or whatever. Right. I wonder why we I would that, love it. Would personally. you really? Yeah. Wow. Um, again, though, like the, the cultural, like, does a man do it with a woman? Right. Does it, you know, like, is that a weird thing? I don't, I don't yeah. know. Like, I, I don't know. But I would love to go back to it because I've, I've yeah. experienced it. It comes up. Mm-hmm. I've experienced so many things <laughs> from this book. But, but um, the, uh, it was a man, he came to like teach, oh man, it was like a soccer camp or something. And uh, and so he, he just did one of those like European, like, mm-hmm. good to meet you. You yeah. know, and I'm like, that was cool. <laughs> My dad thought it was really weird. <laughs> he was super weirded out by it, but I, you know, it's fine by me. Um, and the, like the more I started to see that it's like, oh, there's, they do that. Yeah. And, and yeah. like, that's not a, a weird thing. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So I'm for it. Gotcha. Let's, let's do it. Let's yeah. make a cultural we'll shift yeah. right now. The trend. Yep. Oh, I like it. Trending. I'll start somewhere. The holy kiss is trending. <sighs> nice. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Post-COVID, maybe it'd take uh, a little yeah, longer to kind of pick that up, I guess. <laughs> <clears throat>
Well, moving on to the next form of, of subtle encouragement, uh, body language. On this subject, we venture beyond Paul's encouragements to the church at Rome. According to Albert Morabian's oft-quoted study on verbal and nonverbal messages, our words account for only 7% of our communication, while tone of voice accounts for 38% and body language accounts for 55%. This indicates that some of our most influential and effective interacting is done without words. Cain's bitter attitude toward God was eloquently expressed in his face. He was very angry, and his countenance, his face, fell. The Lord understood that Cain's body language effectively communicated his sour heart. He said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? After years of brotherly feuding, Jacob and Esau communicated volumes to each other without a word at their reunion. Jacob bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Yes, outward body language gestures uh, communicate much for healing or for hurting. A worthless person, a wicked man, winks with his eyes, he shuffles or signals with his feet, he points with his fingers, perversity is in his heart, he devises evil continually, he sows discord, says Proverbs 6. Our Lord Jesus silently delivered a world of hurt to Peter's triple-denying soul by just expressively and disappointingly locking eyes with him. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Luke 22. Distraught, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Eutychus conveyed a lack of interest in Paul's uh, late-night Troas sermon by sinking into a deep sleep. The fire of a pastor's sermon can be damagingly doused by a drowsy listener or powerfully feuded fueled by an animated hearer. Attentive eyes, an occasional nod, a timely smile, and an alert leaning forward in the pew can encourage a preacher into delivering the truth with peculiar power. That's right. A congregation can in many ways make or break a sermon. Queen Esther was anxiously unsure of King Ahasuerus's heart toward her as she stood uninvited in the royal hall within eyeshot of his throne. Would he summon her in or sentence her to death? The king said not a word, but held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. She was encouraged by Ahasuerus's body language. Okay. Again, not something I think about all the time. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> my body language, I, I, I know for a fact because I, I can somewhat read other people's body language you know like a, mm. okay number one he, his back's hurting you know like i can see stuff like that you know i can see very basic things but um to to then see like oh, there, there are ways that people see and and are either encouraged or discouraged we could say um by ways that i communicate via body language and i've just never really thought about that mm. I, I know that it's true um but i I also think it, it makes it way more difficult because I, I can somewhat um, keep it light with conversation, mm -hmm. but you can see on my face, you can see in my body language that um, maybe something is a little more heavy that morning or that week or so on yeah. and so forth. And um, like it, like what he says about Cain, like he, he just saw it on his face. I mm -hmm. think we can see that in someone's face and, and in their body language. We know like... Something's off. Mm -hmm. But now that I say that, I don't know what I'm always saying with my body language. Like I don't, 
I don't think I've, I don't think I'm an effective communicator at all, really, but body language wise, yeah. so <laughs> even more so. <laughs> See? <laughs> um, but I, I wonder what somebody who is good at body language is able to tell me hmm. about, like, hey, you're actually. You're actually very sad. I can, <laughs> I can see it. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see that. Huh. Yeah. Thoughts? From someone from someone who speaks the language well. Yeah. Would that be make them bilingual if they know body language and English? If you can like call sign language, language that, you know, I'm I mean, surely... it makes sense. Using your whole body, but... <laughs> and if you can communicate more with it. True. Yeah, 93%. <laughs> Well, that was no. That was that was the mix. Total was, voice. Yeah. 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 Ninety three percent is isn't your words though, which is right. cra- like that's mind blown. <laughs> like, I and mean, it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. But which is, I guess, like you know, they say, like people are you're you're a good liar, or you're a bad liar, or whatever. Like that's probably well, that only what is it? I just forgot all the numbers. Seven percent is the actual words that you're saying. The rest of it, I can read you. You know right, what I mean? Right. Right. That's crazy. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. And I'm sure we've all heard it said of like, uh, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah, it's legitimate. It's real truth, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I also wonder, like, this got me thinking, so obviously everything that you just said, like, yeah, body language, you kind of read it, sometimes you can't, don't always read my own, you know, sometimes I try to think about it. Like, I can tell, like, if I'm just kind of feeling dejected, like, I know I'll slouch over a little bit, and I'm like... You know, what are they saying? You know, stick your chest out, man. You, you know, uh, put your shoulders back. Um, so there's always that. <laughs> but I, there's a, there's a connection between this and the previous point, the physical touch. Because it's like you ever, like you walk up, uh, I'm just going to, so Ty from church. Ty, you're listening. Yes, plugging you, dude. Uh, <laughs> dude comes up, gives the biggest hugs in the world every Sunday, every Wednesday. Just, what's up, man? You know, and you're just like, ah. And you, you ever been hugged by someone you're like, you don't want to be hugging me. Like, I almost feel worse now because oh, yeah. you just went out of your way to hug me. And, yep. like, and maybe they were being nice, like, oh, they don't feel so good. Let me give them a hug. But I, I don't know. Like, and I'm sure I've done the same thing yeah, sure. plenty of times. But so that body language translates into, or not translates, but also correlates with, with that physical touch too. So that got me thinking because I guess part of this book is like, instructional like how to Hmm. encourage others how to communicate that with our face with our bodies with our words and so i need to make i need to be careful on not just my body language but the physical touch like there's also there's that body language is part of that too like i don't want to give you just a little limp hug or you know just a wimpy handshake or something like especially if it's somebody that i'm trying to intentionally encourage and make it make it real let that body language speak that to Hmm. them i guess too so that was something that I took from that. Yeah. But he, he called, what did he say when he was talking about the congregation making a breaking sermon? We were talking about this uh, a few days ago with some buddies. <laughs> you can't laugh the next time you preach and look at me because you're going to think of this moment. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but anytime, like I just automatically, when I'm Sunday morning or whatever, Wednesday or something, pastor looks at me, I just start nodding in my head every time. Like <laughs> I smile and nod. Doesn't matter what they're saying. Like they could be, you could be saying the worst part of the sermon, or you know, you're we're all scummy sinners. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just nod and smile. I don't know. It's just automatic because part of me is like, 
you're probably seeing some closed eyes and some nodding heads. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just the way it is. Yeah. So I want to be the one that's like, yeah, yeah, you're doing nice. good, buddy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so don't look at me the next time you preach. Start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I think it's cool too that like ultimately, and, and we'll get into some of this as we'll, like, as we'll see, but ultimately what, what encourages us is, is the gospel. And so I love that that is also an aspect here. Like the gospel has physical hmm. um, aspects to it, like what it does to us. It can yeah. physically alter us. Hmm. Um, it's, it's somewhere in the Psalms that it says, uh, the light has gone from my eyes. He's talking about his own sin, mm-hmm. and which is why we can recognize sin in, in a brother. We can see, okay, something's going on here. The, the light has gone from their eyes, or, or Cain, his countenance has fallen. Um, the, what the gospel does is, is, is what also the psalm describes, of, of lift up your eyes. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a physical... Like you're lifting your face up, you're lifting your body up to, uh, to an encouragement. To yeah. look, no, it's not. Yes, absolutely, one thousand percent. You, your sin is 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 as wretched as you feel it is. Um, but behold, Christ, mm. He has taken away that sin. Yeah. Behold Him yeah. upon the cross, and that's a. I I can. I feel it now. Like I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting up a little more shallow. Like, yes, let's go. You know, like I, yeah. I, I love that. That's a, an aspect of mm-hmm. what the gospel does. Like it changes us physically, yeah. and that's awesome. In, insane. <laughs> yeah. Okay, probably my favorite part <laughs> of what he says here: <clears throat> humor and irony. Yes. As mentioned earlier, sometimes the finest wine forms of encouragement aren't the overt and obvious. The subtle and refined versions may be the best. Creative irony and clever humor can be wonderfully therapeutic. Consider the following verses. Proverbs 17. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Ecclesiastes 3. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Going back to our uh, footloose days. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A.W. Tozer wrote, Few things are as useful in the Christian life as a gentle sense of humor. Many decades ago in London, a young member of Parliament, when making his maiden speech in the House of Commons, was overcome by intense nervousness. Gradually, his shyness in addressing the House vanished, and he said what he had to say and sat down. Then his nervousness returned, and he felt that he had blundered. Miserable, a note was passed to him with only two words. You'll do. (laughs) They were initialed by the greatest statesman of the day. The member kept those kind and clever words as a treasured souvenir and a perpetual encouragement. George W. Bush therapeutically used humor in eulogizing Senator John McCain at his dignitary-packed 2018 funeral in the National Cathedral. Cindy and the McCain family, I am honored to be with you to offer my sympathies and to celebrate a great life. Some lives are so vivid, it's difficult to imagine them ended. Some voices are so vibrant and distinctive, it is difficult to think of them stilled. A man who seldom rested is laid to rest and his absence is tangible, like the silence after a mighty roar. I'll miss him. Moments before my last debate ever with Senator John Kerry in Phoenix, I was trying to gather some thoughts in the holding room. I felt a presence, opened my eyes, and six inches from my face was McCain, who yelled, Relax! Relax! 
An immediate roar of affectionate laughter filled the cathedral, warming and encouraging the hearts of the grieving McCains. Humor has a wonderful way of healingly maneuvering into otherwise hard-to-access places. Mm. So, so humor is biblical, which means jokes are from God. So dad jokes are godly, right? Heavenly father <laughs> jokes? Heavenly dad no, jokes? maybe so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got from that. Next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... And I, I like the... I like the the story, the example of W. He, I felt like he was always kind of good at that. Like, I mean, because he's kind of a goofball, but yeah. like, I, I, I may have watched that, it seems like, um, when he gave that eulogy. And it seems like maybe another one or two or something that he gave, and there was always kind of like some little little drops. Like so, so there's there's a time and a place for it, or there's there's a, an application for it. Right. I may not always be the best at that. Like <laughs> I gotta I lean more towards the just go for the joke, even if you don't know if it's the right time or not, and then it's really awkward because you used to joke when you shouldn't have. But yep. <laughs> but I'd rather do that than not tell the joke at all. You know what I mean? I hear you. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stick with my guns. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I mean that's. There, there's scripture that backs up that humor is good, right? Yeah. So I, I'm encouraged by that, uh, and I, I think, it, I think it's very, it's very true. Like I, I like, like I think I'm kind of funny, whatever, just average. No, you are. But like, well, well, thank you. Above That's average. Very encouraging. Encouraging. Uh, <laughs> encouraging. Encouraging. Like Ooh, I'm fully encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've always like I. I appreciate humor like i love humor like i like stand-up comedy i like comedy movies jokes whatever uh there's something that just feels really good about laughing and smiling and so since as far back as i can remember as young as i've ever been like that's as young as i've ever been that's that's a weird way to say that (laughs) as young as i can remember I, I've always wanted to try to make people laugh and smile because I'm like, it makes me feel really good. I want others to feel good too. And so there's it to know that it's not just for the heck of it. You know, right. it's like there, there is actual benefit to that. Like, and, and people can be uplifted and encouraged by that. Obviously that's kind of the reason for it, but, um, but it's biblical and God likes it. So I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I could learn, timing better because <laughs> uh, I know that there's a time for it and sometimes I can sense that sometimes I can I'm not very good at that yeah um, and, and I think it's it, it also becomes like this deflective um, personality trait where mm. I just if I'm nervous I just resort to it and I yeah. uh, it looks like I'm trying to make light of what's happening but I'm just like I have nowhere else to go. This is all right. I know, truly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not agreeing because I'm saying you're right. I'm agreeing because I do the same <laughs> no, thing. <so. laughs> it's like a defense mechanism, yeah, right? It's like yeah. I, I, all I have really is is humor down deep. Mm. Um, and But if I could learn timing, specifically, if I could learn timing with my wife, uh, I feel like, man, some of the best jokes I've ever had have been with her, but they fall <laughs> on such, just like, well, uh, that was all right. And I was like, Ugh, maybe as a, maybe I should time it to where there are other people around, and she would uh, feel more generous. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but w- one thing that it made me think about as as an encouragement was, um, I mean, f- for years and years and years, as long as I've, 
as long as I've been a part of, of something tragic, uh, laughter has always been, it's like it, it's like you can't have suffering without laughter, almost. Like, it, it has to be there where mm-hmm. suffering is too much. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, just to, to hear in the room when somebody is, is on their final, in, in their final moments, and they they crack a joke. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it relieves all the tension of the air. It, yeah. it, um, it brings back a, and everything is is going to be okay. Now I'm saying this from a Christian worldview and stand sure. standpoint of uh, it will truly only be okay. And, and I think that's kind of the the base and the foundation of of all true humor is that like truly it's it's going to be okay. And and we should all remember that. And we should all remember like come back to that sobriety almost to, mm-hmm. through a joke of well, let's let's not take ourselves too seriously here. Uh, we are we are much smaller than we think, and this moment is much smaller than we think it is. Um, I'm getting way down a, a deep path about it about humor, but it, it was key for me when uh, I was in the room as my grandfather was was slowly dying, and uh, one of my uncles just cracked a joke, you know, and, and I don't even remember what it was, but I remember all of us in the room laughing. Yeah. And the the joy of of remembering some story that he had or some some quirk about him and, and some something along those lines just made us all you know, like find joy in, in the the most sorrowful time that we mm. could think in, in that moment, you yeah. know, and uh and it just it it impacted me in ways that I'm not even sure I can articulate, but yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever remember. I don't think I'll ever forget it, and I and I think that that's that's the power of a of a good sense of humor, and and mm-hmm. I and I love that. Yeah. I want to be able to provide that. I don't, I don't know, like what you said, right, right. Um, so I love that that's biblical. Yeah, like what what does he even <laughs> say? A merry heart does good like medicine. There you go. Love it, man. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Well, so to work on your timing, yeah. so like you know, the most important part of the punchline of a joke, right? Timing. I'm just kidding. That, I don't. <laughs> I ruined it. I, I don't, that's not how it goes, but something like that. <laughs> I like it. No, that's really really bad. <laughs> if I don't edit this out, I apologize to all the listeners. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we're sticking with subtle forms of, of encouragement. Presence. <clears throat> like gifts? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> with, a, with a C-E. Yeah. N-C-E. N-C-E. Gotcha. Well, N-T-S. Not an N-T-S, but Not an N-C-E. 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 Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. Just showing up and being there can mean more than a world of words. David benefited from the mere presence of Jonathan. And so in First Samuel, he says... So, so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David saw in the David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Job benefited from the mere presence of his three friends. Uh, this is Job two. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. 
They sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Their presence was medicine. The problems began when they opened their mouths. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Our Lord craved the mere presence of his three best friends. Uh, This is Matthew 26. That Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and, and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Onesiphorus was there for Paul when it counted. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Back in January of 1998, my wife and I had moved away from our family for me to serve as pastor at a church near Dayton, Ohio. When the six-month ultrasound disclosed that the little boy Diane was carrying had a serious birth defect, spina bifida, we were devastated. When my dad and mom heard about it, they immediately drove down from Michigan through the snow. I don't remember much of what they said, but I'll never forget the priceless balm of their presence. They were there. They stood with us and strengthened us. We were down and troubled and we needed a helping hand. They came running to see us again. All we had to do was call. Yes, it was winter, but it could have been spring, summer, or fall. They were just there as a friend. I have somewhat of a unique position in that I've done a couple of funerals and uh, being being the person that stands next to the, you know the family of, mm-hmm. of whoever has, has passed, uh, I hear a lot of really bad things. Uh, really, like when I hear them, it's just like, why why did you say that why that's and i don't know if it's to make themselves feel better if they're trying to fill the the void the silence and they think that they need to say something i don't know if they heard it from a movie and they're like oh this is what people say like uh he's got angel wings now or i don't know something something really bad like that yeah um and i think all that's needed is presence yeah is no words i'm here um and I'm, and I'm sorry. Yeah. And and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, like no, nothing else. Um, I, I've seen it go horribly when words start to get, and I, so I love that he brings up Job and says, mm-hmm. um, they were great for seven days. <laughs> the, the, the trouble started when they started talking. And yeah. I was just like, yeah, I, I saw that so much with, with uh, people trying to comfort either themselves or, or the family in these weird ways, like just, just let your presence be, the medicine that it is because mm-hmm. it is and that's yeah. that's an encouragement that, that they absolutely need mm-hmm. and and it's not just so like we were just talking about like humor and in, in comedy and sometimes that can be our bent to alleviate these things like it's not like sometimes you need to be wept alongside with you know romans 12 weep no weep for those who weep weep with those who weep, and that's what Job's friends did, right? They they came to him and then wept with him. They didn't start telling jokes, say, "Hey, you want to have a catch?" Like they weren't trying to just cheer him up with with right. good spirits. Like he was down, and they went down and joined him where he was in that moment, and that was encouraging. So that seems kind of weird, right? To, to like 
if I'm sad about something, you're going to join me and be sad with me, but that makes me feel better. Like it's super weird, <laughs> but it makes sense because I'm sharing that whatever is causing me to weep, that agony, that pain, that sorrow, you're sharing it with me. You're, you're bearing that burden with me. Yeah. And maybe that's where the encouragement is in that. And so I think that's um, tricky especially for someone who tries to be funny. It's like, okay, shut up, Aaron, and don't talk for seven days. <laughs> yep. Just don't say anything. Uh, and just be there. And and not just be there, but join them. Join them in their sorrow. Share that sorrow with them. Uh, not just, like, don't just be sad or try to be sad or show them that you are sharing that. But, man, if if like if something happened to you that gave you sorrow, I would have sorrow. Like, I would yeah. be sad. Like, yeah. and so... And I know for me, like say 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 something happened, you know, to you, and then you were you were feeling sorrow. I would want to be like like my first instinct is, oh, let me let me be strong for Jake, or let me be strong for my friend. Let me right. you know not show them that I'm sad. Like let me hold my tears back or whatever. When really, you probably just need me to cry with you. You know, I don't. It's not a time to be strong. Right. It's time to show you that I'm there with you, and also I'm sad with you. And I think that can be kind of tricky sometimes. I know for me it is just because, like I said, I want to be. Let's you know cheer them up and let me show them that we can get through this. But right. just spend some time, spend some time in the sorrow. You know, let it happen. Right. But I'd like how he said, "What did he, I think I wrote it down? The priceless balm of their presence." Like yeah. uh, just reading that, I was like, uh, "That feels good." Yeah. Like, but it, that's a great way to put it. Like yeah. it, it's a balm. It 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 doesn't necessarily get rid of the pain, but it soothes it some. You know what I mean? So that was really good. Uh, we. When we had um, our, our first baby was a miscarriage, and uh, Charlie and Jen Bashall, mm-hmm. uh, we, I told I think it was just the elders, and, and so he showed up, and um, I remember they just sat on the couch with us, yeah. and that was uh, I mean, we were we were crying, they were crying, and it was seven years ago now, and, and I remember it, or seven. Maybe not that long, but it, it was it was some time ago, and I still remember it. Mm-hmm. Like I can vividly remember that. Yeah, and that's exactly what you were saying: is that sometimes just being there is, is exactly what people need, yeah. and that's that's a great encouragement. Uh, not only like I I, I love too that he brought in like even Jesus was saying, mm-hmm. "Stay with me." <clears throat> like, that's that's amazing. Yeah. That. God himself in the flesh said, stay with me. Mm-hmm. Like there, there was something comforting about these sinners being in his presence. And that's, if that's true, like, well, certainly God has designed humanity in that way, that uh, we need each other in that way. But uh, it, it, the whole thing, just yeah. amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Now we get into uh, a little bit more of the meat, if you will. So, mm-hmm. so we've talked a little bit about subtle forms of encouragement. We talked about what, um, you know, that it's it's adrenaline for the soul. We've talked about those things, but now, uh, how does that all play out? Like, how does that work? What, where does that come from? You know, well, any criminal, hell-deserving sinner, uh, and I can go to the cross. You can go to him right now. Come with me to an ugly skull-shaped hill outside Jerusalem back in A.D. 30. There, Jesus hung naked, nailed to the cross. The Bible records his loud cry at the ninth hour, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on here? Jesus is taking the electric chair of eternal punishment for six long hours in the place of sinners. He has been banished to the hellish horror of teeth gnashing outer darkness, away from the smile and favor of his Father. He is undergoing God's wrath that sinners deserve. He is taking our hell. He is sacrificing himself as our substitute. All the sins of his criminal friends at that moment in time were legally imputed to Jesus, born by him in the depths of his infinite soul. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. This, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Spurgeon once preached regarding Christ's cry of dereliction from the cross. This voice of out of the belly of hell marks the lowest depth of the Savior's grief. The desertion was real. He continued, We believe this agony was equal to the agonies of the lost in hell. And remember, Not the equivalent for the agony of one, but an equivalent for the hells of all that innumerable host of souls whose sins he bore, condensed into one black cup to be drained in a few hours. The miseries of an eternity without end, miseries caused by a God infinitely angry because of an awful rebellion, and these miseries multiplied by the millions for whom the man Jesus Christ stood as covenant head. What a bitter cup that was. And yet he drained that cup, drained it down to its last dregs. Not a drop was left. Having drained that bitter cup, Jesus shouted in triumph, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Spurgeon gives the ultimate encouragement to his own previously checkmated guilty soul. For you, my soul, no flames of hell. For Christ, the paschal lamb, has been roasted in that fire. For you, my soul, no torments of the damned, for Christ has been condemned in your place. Jesus' great work on the cross for sinners accomplished what our good works never could. It is a futile move for us to rely on our own good works. They are rubbish. Go to Jesus and believe only in his finished work on the cross for sinners, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. It is the simple gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A little bit of encouragement there, huh? (laughs) Man, the encouragement of not having to pay the price the price of what we should have man so it got me thinking like this is a very very pale (laughs) example uh but well not necessarily so um have you ever been in a gone through a drive-thru and like you you know you go up to the speaker place your order get up to the window and they're like oh hey the person in front of you paid for your Starbucks or your, you know, meal or whatever it is. Like that feels amazing. Like that feels really good. It's like, oh, it was a $4 cup of coffee, but man, I feel really good, you know? And sometimes, you know, 
pay it forward to the person behind me, or I'll ask, you know, how much is one behind me? <laughs> <laughs> I did that once. They were like, that's like 45 bucks. I was like, uh, here's a five. Like, <laughs> but like that, that feels good. Like you're, right. I, that's very encouraging. Like, oh, this person did something for me and I don't have to pay the price for what I, what I basically deserve. Like I deserve to pay the price for this right. thing. Now that price wasn't a burden to me. You know what I mean? Like I, I decided to go to Starbucks and pay $6 for a latte. That wasn't going to be a burden to me. Yet, when it was no longer my price to pay, it felt really good. Hmm. This <laughs> this price, the price that Jesus bore was a burden, hmm. like the biggest burden anybody could imagine, an eternal burden. That price has been paid. Like how much more should, oh, should I be so grateful and pay it forward? I mean, I can't pay it forward, but, <laughs> but I can share it. Hey, this person in front of me paid. Like, but I mean, it just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he paid for all of you. You'll just let him, I guess. <laughs> but like, I was like, man, that's it, I, that makes me feel so good when someone pays for me. I'm like, man, I feel really good and I want to make someone else feel good. But there was no burden. And to, for, Cry. I mean, just it's just this. This one was like ugh, I'm speechless on this one because yeah. it's just such. There is so much encouragement there when you just soak it in, like yeah. the the burden that is gone. Man, whew, good. Yeah, two things were they stood out to me. Uh, number one, Christ is the epitome of strength, the epitome of endurance. Lasted forty days without any food yeah. and water that we know of. Uh, was was tempted by Satan at that point and and did not sin. Uh, yet here he is in this somewhat. If if you look at it from a human perspective, a, a moment of weakness, but it's not. But he's saying, "Why have you forsaken me?" I can you imagine hmm. what has to be happening in that moment? The utter darkness and agony of the wrath of God hmm. for. God himself in the flesh to say, why have you done this? And for, for him to, like what we know of um, him saying, let this cup pass from me if it can, mm-hmm. nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, for him to ask that, for him to, to pray that, like let this pass from me. Yeah. That has to be far and above any description of hell that I have in my head that I I like to define it by you know like it has to be the worst thing i can ever even imagine beyond what i can even imagine and so that that was the first thing that stood out to me um how how brutal hell must actually and truly be how brutal the wrath of god must actually be Mm. um but then the second thing was what spurgeon said of uh for you my soul no flames of hell for christ the lamb has been roasted in that fire Mm. That that gave me chills yeah. to know yeah. absolutely 1,000% those are my flames. I, I deserve to be roasted there, and yet I, I can't be put into those flames because there's already a lamb roasted in, in my place. And that's, yeah. I, I, in ways that I cannot even articulate, everything that we just read about, the, the, the horrible brutality of hell that Christ experienced, I will never experience because he took that on for mm-hmm. me. 
how do I not give him everything? <laughs> right. And how do I walk in this life in, in any kind of despair over my own self or the anything. darkness of it? I mean, what? Yeah. Behold that, man. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and somewhat to your point, like we, we can't, the, the, the weight of the darkness that he felt in that moment when, he's, when he cried out, why have you forsaken me? Like in, in being covered by the blood of Christ, redeemed, set apart, I still hate the feeling when, like, like if I'm, when I repent, like, it's like, oh, what have I done again, God? Like, this is what I, and in that, he's looking at me with full joy and love, and I still just, ugh, I feel, ugh, just, ugh. <laughs> but Jesus in that moment, if it, that, it, like, it's the, the opposite of, of what we get. It was, nope, you've turned your back on me. Like, to your point, what I, we can't even... The the best, there's not even the best part. Like, I don't even know, like, the lightest amount of what he felt in that moment is far beyond what we can even ever comprehend yeah. or imagine. Just, man. Whew. I think it's interesting, too, that post-conversion, post-God saving us, we can read about this and we start to slowly understand over the, the course of our entire lives just how horrible... That must have been how horrible hell will be, the, the wrath of God, the anger of God. Um, but we understand it as something that we deserved, mm-hmm. but will never experience. Yeah. And yet, pre-conversion, we had no real clue about it. Yeah. So, but those who are not saved, they'll experience it one day. And that's a, I mean, there's just so much, so much there, so much from this one little <laughs> section of this book. Yeah. It was just... It brought to mind so many different things. Yeah. So an encouragement. Very much. And a like a an encouragement to the soul, but also like an encouraging kick in the butt mm-hmm. in a <laughs> in the best way possible. Like yeah. go glorify mm-hmm. this God, man. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh moving on to a, a more specific uh so that the gospel as is the ultimate encouragement, right? But he's he's saying it's also an antidote for worry. For many people, worry is a corrosive and common companion. Arthur Somers Roche writes, Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Michel de, uh, de Montaigne observes, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. <laughs> Worry whispers despair-producing lies into the ears of God's safe and secure children. Worry seeks to make atheists of theists, telling us that our sovereign father isn't even there. Worry tells us that we are defenseless orphans hurtling aimlessly through time and the universe with absolutely no one caring for our concerns. Like Chicken Little crying out that the sky is falling, worry chirps that at any moment we could chaotically crash into a chance calamity causing a crushing and catastrophic collapse. Lies. The gospel tells us otherwise. Our heavenly father has foreknown us since before the foundation of the world. He is actively causing all things to work for our good. He predestined us to our adoption as sons and daughters. He spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. That almighty risen and ascended son ever lives and intercedes for us, 
No one or thing can separate us from the love of Christ. He will never leave us or forsake us. When Christ was on the cross, all the powers of hell were unleashed on him. He was a destitute of a doting father's care. He was destitute of a doting father's care. Loaded down with the foul sins of the world, Jesus saw the fatherly back turned away from him, leaving him outside in the frigid cold, suffering an excruciating lack of peace. This was a crushing, catastrophic collapse. Ending up crashed in such a God-forsaken heap is a disaster worth worrying about. But for the child of God, such a crash is a theological impossibility. The gospel says because the Son of God was forsaken, the child of God will never be forsaken. Because he was abandoned to the darkest blackness, the child of God never will be. The gospel says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Child of God, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The best antidote to worry, fretting, and despairing is telling ourselves the truth with the encouragement of the gospel. Yes, we need to encourage ourselves by talking to ourselves about the grace of God. Prone to worry and depression, David frequently encourages himself this way in the Psalms. Psalm 42.11 is only one example. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. T. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes in his book, Spiritual Depression, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Now David's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Encourage yourself with the gospel. Now, this is the second time that that specific thing has, has come up. But we can't not just read that again and right. sit in that again. Yeah. Um, and... and <clears throat> because Psalm 42 is is so so important to those of us that that fall into that despair and, and depression easily. Uh, I mean, it even talks about in the very beginning that that worry is this it's it's this thin stream that uh, kind of brings all the other streams and it drains out all goodness to it. Like it it kind of cuts a course through. Um, it's like a, a trench that. Somebody's just going through and trenching, and now all of our thoughts are going back to the same thought. And, and it's um, like that somewhat happens in us without our permission. And <laughs> that doesn't make a, a ton of sense, but it does at the same time. Mm -hmm. And yet here's Psalm 42 saying, no, no, no. Uh, that did happen without your permission. And now you're going to speak to it without its permission. And that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and to say... Why are you cast down? Hope in God. Mm. And that's it. Hope in God. There you go. Jeez, man. <laughs> Everything he said here is like, no wonder it's an antidote for worry. Right. And as a prone to worry man myself, uh, I love it. Yeah. So good. <laughs> that quote. The De Montaigne, I think is how you pronounce yeah. that. My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. <laughs> like, I laughed 
and almost cried a little bit when I read that. <laughs> like I, I, I do that a lot, and and I'm sure we all do. But I mean, I can, I I know times where I like go through whole like dialogues with you know, oh, if I need to talk to this person about this thing. Well, then what if they say this back? Well, then I say this back. And they start getting heated or they start worrying about, well, what do I say? Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm ruining my day for something not happening. So stupid. But, I mean, the the worst the the worst thing, the main thing, the one thing that we should worry about the most, we don't have to worry about, right? I mean, just like you said, the the lamb is, has been roasted. Like, that's, is that what we said? Yeah, roasted, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that alone should give us enough encouragement um, to just get through everything else in life. Now, obviously, we're human. We're going to have bad times. We're going to struggle. We're going to feel sad. And it's not always just, man, you're a Christian. You believe the Bible. Why are you sad right now? Like, that's good. He tells us to weep with those who weep. Like, he knows that we are going to do those things. But there is hope. There, We know that eternity awaits. And so that's where it's like, okay. It's not that all of these hard times on earth go away. It's just that we know that the eternal weight of glory that waits is far greater than what we're dealing with right now. And so I, I love that. And he calls us, and I, again, wrote down just a couple, like First Peter, cast all your anxieties on him. Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Like he, it's not just, I'm here if you need me. It's no, come, come to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know you are going to be heavy laden. Come to me. And this is God saying this. This is, you know, I mean, this is Christ himself. Like, it's not just, hey, you know, created beings, if you need, if you're, you know, heavy laden, go to this guy, you know, or whatever, you know, read Mark's book or do this thing. Like, yeah, those are good, but I am here for you. Like, man, I mean, who else would you rather say that to you? I don't know why that sentence was so hard for me to say. (laughs) But yeah, I love it, and it's yeah. a great encouragement. Yeah. So I'm going to say that every time. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the the line that got me to where he says, um, "Ending up crashed in such a godforsaken heap, so everything mm-hmm. that Christ experienced is a disaster worth worrying about." Yeah. But for the child of God, such a crash is a theological impossibility. Yeah, and it, that means everything to me. And yeah. that, that is just, yeah. it's an impossibility. Yeah. What, what God has said in his word means that if I am his child, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Like I will not experience that. Yeah. It's insane. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> that Man. means no worries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the rest of your days. Oh, you should write a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, not very much further on. Uh, still in this, the gospel is, as ultimate encouragement. Uh, the subheading of, of this paragraph is, the gospel is a cure-all for every spiritual ailment. In Greek mythology, Panacea was the goddess of the universal remedy. She is actually mentioned at the opening of the earliest version of the Hippocratic Oath taken by physicians. Legend has it that she possessed a potion that was a cure-all for any physical malady. So whether a child was fevered, a warrior wounded, or a king diseased, Panacea could say, pour the potion into that. The gospel is a lot like that. It is a real cure-all for every discouraging life malady. Pour the gospel into that. John Stott views the gospel in this way. 
All progress in the Christian life depends upon a recapitulation of the original terms of one's acceptance with God. Stott here directs us to the timeless remedy for all our ailments, including spiritual depression and beyond. In the Christian life, we never outgrow the need to daily and even hourly remind ourselves of the gospel. Every step we take on the spiritual battlefield in facing foes such as disappointment, anger, bitterness, resentment, hopelessness, temptation, fear, selfishness, and weakness requires us to deliberately revisit and remind ourselves of the gospel. Pour the gospel into that. Mm. And so we've talked about this a a few times, it seems like multiple times, um, reminding ourselves of the gospel daily. And like that might seem like a little much, right? Like, okay, I know the gospel. Okay, good. Like, but so... We ha- we have worries every day, and, and all these things that he just uh, listed out. You know, whether it's bitterness, anger, um, resentment, hopelessness, temptation, fear, we feel some amount of those feelings daily. Um, and so, the gospel being this remedy for these things, um, or remedy, or I'm trying to think of a, a, a different word. Like, I, I guess it is remedy for those things. But like, so like. W- um, sorrow, for instance, like if you're if someone's passing away, like the gospel isn't going to make them not pass away, right? right. But it gives you uh, a, a peace in that because you understand, okay, well, what does the gospel mean? Well, if they're a believer, they're now with their creator. Uh, you know, th- there's multiple ways that it all plays into that, I guess. Yeah. But we have to remind ourselves daily of it because we struggle with all of these things daily, and so to apply the gospel to those things is, again, kind of like you said earlier, it's like a balm that just soothes that out. It's like, okay, I'm still going to worry a little bit, but I don't have to worry because the worst thing to worry about isn't going to happen. It's impossible, right? It's theological impossibility, or how rephrase that, yeah. which is like, that will, if that doesn't uplift you somewhat, even when you are down, like that's, that's I mean, the gospel will do that for you. And I think it's, so if we believe the gospel, we believe that he's working all things for our good, right? If we are called according to his purpose. So that means even the worry that I'm going through, right? Like the depression that I'm dealing with. Though, and and I know that's not, I don't know if it's not talked about a lot, but I guess it's difficult to talk about it as Christians. Like if something really bad happens in your life, God's working that for good. Like he's right. working everything. And that right. that, though it is hard to sometimes uh, it's uh, sometimes you just you don't feel it. You know what I mean? You're just like I I don't know how. Obviously, right. we, I don't know how this is going to come. Any good is going to come from this, which is why we have to remind ourselves of the gospel daily because it's that's what it tells us. And so, when you have that and you have that to fall not fall back on, but to first go to before anything else, there's there's nothing else that you need daily outside of that. But that, that's all over the place. But <laughs> I'm with it. it's just that's it. I can. I, <laughs> it sounds super, super like overkill to say I've got to remind myself of the gospel daily. Well, well, don't you know the gospel? Like, but no. It's what. What does that provide you? What does the gospel provide you? Right. And we're always going to struggle with that. Right. Just like we're going to struggle with all of these things. But so it's not so much a a knowledge or. or an ascent to knowledge. It's not so much a, I need to spell out the gospel. It's a, you know, what, how does that infect 
Yeah. Infect. Infuse today with hope. <laughs> yeah. Maybe infect. Yeah. Um, infect the bad things of today. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. 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 I hear you. How's it applicable to, to what's happening? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, going based off what you said, I mean, the most horrific, brutal murdering of an innocent man turned out to be very good right. for sinners. And uh, so if we can if we can look at the worst thing that's ever happened, the truly only innocent man to ever truly die, uh, that turned out for, for a lot of good, um, then yeah, God is surely able to use my yeah. depression, my mm-hmm. sorrow in this moment in ways that, eh, like you said, maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe I won't know, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But he's using it. Yeah. Um, the other thing it made me think about, though, was uh, our very first episode of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says that we need Romans eight because we wake up in Romans seven. Yeah. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. uh, we we need the gospel every day. Mm-hmm. We because we wake up <clears throat> needing it. Like that's just <laughs> who we are. It's, it's part of our nature to to run and rebel and and. So we, we need this encouragement that lifts us up and humbles us to to, to the cross. To, mm. And so I love it. Yeah. Okay. We're getting nearish the end. Mm. Not the end of the book. Uh, there's just so much in the book, but um, nearest, nearest the end of our time with the yeah. book. Brother, there is an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. One that is incorruptible undefiled, and won't fade away. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If God spared not his own Son to save you, and so is clearly for you, who can be against you? How will he not give you whatever you need in this dilemma? God has not abandoned you. To the contrary, the entire Trinity is unitedly conspiring for you, The Son is standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. The Spirit is mightily stirring and striving within you. The Father is sovereignly causing all things to work for your good. I know a man who participated in sexual perversion in his youth and is haunted with feelings of indelible moral filthiness. I know another man who cheated on his wife, and though she forgave him, he's still plagued with paralyzing guilt. I know still another man who has visited internet whorehouses where he's looked at women committing adultery of the heart. And I know a man who recklessly miscalculated while driving his truck and crashed into a motorist, resulting in the death of someone's precious son. I know a man who, due to his own folly, committed a serious business blunder, causing the bankrupting of his business and the collapsing of his large family's comfortable standard of living. All these men battle with bouts of strangling dejection. Pour the gospel into that. On the cross, Jesus has taken these matters into his own hands, holding the list of charges against you, absorbing in his palm the hammered-in spikes and wonderfully removing your guilt and shame. Jesus Christ, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jared Wilson helps guilty men who sit in rocking chairs, I think every man carries around some sort of wound, baggage, things that they've done, mistakes that they've made, sins they've committed. Even if they've repented of these things, 
Sometimes they don't feel forgiven or they feel like they can't escape from under that shadow. The gospel comes in and says that what you've done does not define you. You are what God says you are in Christ. Understanding the rich truth of justification gives us great freedom from the past. Mm. I don't think there's anything that I can legitimately add to that. I just want to sit in it. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. On on the cross, Jesus has taken these matters into his own hands, holding those charges, absorbing in his palm the spikes, removing your guilt and shame. Uh, there's not a single person in this world, there's not a single believer in this world who does not have something that we feel utter shame for. Mm. And if everyone in the world knew it, we would die of embarrassment, I, mm. I would feel, you know, and and yet Christ has said, I, I've, I've taken them. Yeah. <laughs> to, to say to a sinner like me, everything, that your past, your past sins, the sins that you're committing against me right now, and the sins that you will commit against me, all of it is covered. I, I cannot fathom. Mm. I, that is a love beyond my comprehension. Yeah. And I, I cannot believe that God has shown me that love. Yeah. And yet I believe it, and I want it, and I, I have nowhere else to go. Right. I have nowhere else to go. I, is, he's it. Yeah. That's it. Jesus is it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is, that's all. What else yeah. do you need? <laughs> He's the it. Yeah, the it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And I mean, so that exam and he list you know, he talked about the guys that have done all these, you know, terrible things. Um and like and like you said, we we we've all done things that we still when we're reminded of them. You know, we, we feel that guilt and that shame. And again, going back to why we have to remind ourselves of the gospel every day, because every day when I'm reminded of something that I've done before or that I'm doing now, uh, I, it reminds me that I can't just sit and sulk in the guilt that isn't there anymore. You know, <laughs> like as much as I almost want to feel the guilt, because I know that I did it and I know that there is a price for that. It's not there for me to feel anymore. <laughs> and I think that's one of the beauties of the gospel is that it doesn't say, oh, all the bad things that you did, they're just erased. Right. Like they're, they're not just gone. But no, it, 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 it tells us that and it shows us that the love of Christ is far greater than the guilt that we should be feeling because of these things and and the ultimate price that should have been paid or that was paid for those things you know it's not just oh those don't exist anymore you those sins are just gone nope buddy you still you sinned yep you definitely did really bad and a lot of times but because i love you so much you don't have you don't have the guilt you don't have to ugh. yeah like you said what I, I you can't really add much to it no other than to just sit back and be encouraged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly, truly. <sighs> Man. I, uh, I, it used to bother me when I would think about a serial killer or something like that. 
making it into heaven, you know, like mm. deathbed confessions and, and so on and so forth. Like, like really that guy makes it in. Um, but the more I understand my own sinfulness, the more the question becomes really me. Yeah. I can make it in. Uh, and, and, but it's also absolutely he can make it in. She can make it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not based on us. And, and yeah. that's as, as, as earthly frustrating as that might be mm-hmm. to, for someone to look at someone who has harmed them in, in some sort of way and say, no, I, I can't imagine loving that person. I can't imagine that person being in heaven. What's, then we don't understand what happened at the cross, right. that, that truly every horrific thing was paid for. And, and that uh, for, for those who believe, their truly horrific things, sins against humanity and against God himself have been paid for. Like mm. that the lamb is roasted. Mm. It is mm. insane, man. I, I, yeah. uh, it's, it's just too good. Yeah. It's too good. <laughs> you want to do this again next week? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Bring on the same book. <laughs> Okay. Sadly, we're getting to the last uh, section of, of what we'll talk about in the book. Obviously, we we haven't read the entire book um, to you. We've read the entire book, but we haven't read it to you. And but but I think we can give our not one thousand percent, but maybe nine hundred ninety nine percent stamp of approval. Um, it's a, it's an encouraging book. It's yeah. a very good book. <laughs> Um, so it, all that to say, if you, if you've liked what you've heard so far, maybe you have the book, break it open, but our final quote, the date was October 31st, 1942 during the dark days of world war II. Great Britain was having a tough time keeping men working in the coal mines. Most coal workers wanted to give up their dirty, thankless jobs to join the more glamorous military service. Winston Churchill was addressing a conference of coal coal mine operators and miners in Westminster's Central Hall, and here's his speech finale. We shall not fail. And then someday, when children ask, what did you do to win this inheritance for us and to make our name so respected among men, one will say, I was a fighter pilot. Another will say, I was in the submarine service. Another, I marched with the 8th Army. A fourth will say, None of you could have lived without the convoys and the merchant seamen, and you will in your turn will say, with equal pride and with equal right, we cut the coal. Tears appeared in the eyes of hardened men, and they returned to their posts with steely resolve to dig the coal that powered the nation. And if that is the way it worked with fellow Englishmen digging for Great Britain, how much more? Should we use encouragement with fellow Christians fighting for Christ's kingdom? Giving encouragement provides shots of adrenaline for the soul. Let's get out there and do it. Let's get out there and do it. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, like I mentioned, it's like a call to encourage. You know, we are encouraged by this book, but also how do we encourage others? Um, and so I guess just to insert a little bit of my curmudgeonness. <laughs> One of my, I don't know if you call it a pet peeve, um, 
but I feel like I see this a lot on like social media, on Facebook, or whatever. And people, are, it's usually like a shared, it's like a quote, you know, and you just share it or whatever. But a, a lot of this, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I'm cleaning out my friends list, or uh, you know, I'm not. I'm people who aren't pouring into me. I'm not pouring into them anymore. Or right. you know, if you're not, you know, adding to my life, then don't even be a part of it and all this stuff. All the things that Christ said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get away from me. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like. I get where people are coming from with that, right. but also, you know, and for us as, as believers, as Christians, we have to seek out the discouraged, you know? Like, I mean, and we've talked about, obviously, if you're encouraged, you can be encouraged more, but the ones who need it the most are the discouraged. And so maybe the people who aren't pouring into my life aren't pouring into my life because they can't. Maybe they're discouraged about something. You know, it's hard to pour into someone. And again, that's one of those phrases that, that is, I don't like, so I don't know why I just said it 13 times. <laughs> but uh, you, you can't do that if, if you're discouraged. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you could, but it wouldn't be authentic or it wouldn't be right or whatever. And so those are the people that you that we should want in our lives. So that way I can encourage you when you need it. And then in turn, you can encourage me when I need it. If I'm just looking to seek out and live with and surround my life with people who are positive and encouraged all the time, how am I going to get to encourage those people? How am I going to weep with those who weep if I'm not around the people who are weeping? <laughs> like, So part of our call as Christians, and just like I said in the verse in James, like if you're not giving what is good to those who need it, you're in sin. That's not what it said, but it's close. <laughs> We we have to do that, and so to 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 avoid that is very easy to to find ourselves. Nah, I don't want to be around this person because, ugh, you know. Well, maybe they make you feel ugh because they feel ugh. So go encourage them, make right. them feel better, Aaron. Like give them as much as I need to be reminded of the gospel. Maybe I should help others be reminded of the gospel every day too. So what does he say? Get out there and do it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, I think for me. One thing that I struggle with, there's just some more phraseology that you love. Um, one thing that was not as bad. Okay, one thing that I wrestle with in in my own sanctification, I guess, is that uh, I love knowledge. I love learning things, um, but James also calls out like. Uh, it's hard to remember verses in James, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. See, <laughs> Something along the lines of what what is what is faith faith is faith without <laughs> works is, is dead. dead. <laughs> yes. And I mean here is here is the like some of the best evidence we've seen mm. as to here is what you can do today. Right. Go and do it. Yeah. And that's yeah. But in my head, I still think like, oh, mm. I'll do it one day, or mm -hmm. I, I will get better at this one day. Yeah. Um, and I think that we can, because you and I have had this conversation multiple times, like if if we have that sense of God is leading me to do this, we should go and do it. Yeah. Like there's no there's no future better version of me that's going to get it figured out. No, right. I just, just should go and do it. Mm -hmm. Offer the Lord my... Horror offering and <laughs> and do it and yeah. and that's a uh, I want to remember that and I want to 
be encouraged in that as well as I seek to encourage others. And that's my, that's my new goal. I like it. For 20, for March of, for April of April. Yeah. 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 (laughs) For this time. (laughs) <laughs> well, however long the season is that's oh, my goal I was gonna say don't say season <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you know if you have a goal you most likely play a sport mm-hmm. there are seasons that you play sports in so true gotcha gotcha soccer season yeah, yeah. not spiritual yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay with that being said I wanted to give us one final thing from the book okay uh, because somebody endorsed it that we did a book for we did a book. We did one of her books, <laughs> Gloria Furman. Oh, nice. She said, Chansky's book dives deep into the topic of encouragement and shows us how and why God has designed us to thrive on this adrenaline for the soul. Parents, friends, siblings, coworkers, everybody will find tremendous resources for their own hearts and their relationships in this book. You'll see from scripture and experience how the words we use build each other up uh, to build each other up can impact both somebody's day and even a lifetime. And so with that, I also wanted to end with 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. It says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Let's do that. Let's do it. Well, join us next week as we provide you with a sonically superior something. Mm. Until then, this has been Aaron Alvarado and me, Jacob Simmons, and we are made for another world. Another world. I think I said another world. <laughs> another <laughs> apostrophe, another in U T H R. Uh huh. Made for that another world, you know? Just pull out all of my Texan. Hold on. You sit in the left side, oh, yeah. the leftish. The yeah. most left side Nine of the car. Or, and let's try it again. So then you'll hit the clutch. No, that's a manual. <laughs> so we, there's no clutch. Who's a manual? Why's he going? <laughs> hey, manual. God with us. Oh, he, I hope so. He's, well, yeah. Uh, we don't have to hope. <clears throat> it's theologically. Yeah, impossible for impossible. him not to be. Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes reluctant to offer encouragement. We must do so in order to develop all of our neighbors and ourselves, building on the foundation of the gospel as the ultimate encouragement of God, although using quotes, historical references, illustrations, and so forth, and obligations, and all the other it shows us the encouragement of our families and churches in the world. Perfect. That feels lame. I'm like, you said something really good. I was like, for sure. Well, back to the book. According to Albert, Albert, boy, golly. That'll never not make, never make me not laugh. Never not laugh. Mm. Yeah. I will, I will always laugh yeah. at that. What's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke? Timing. <laughs> I butchered that thing. What did I say? Like, what's it's the most important part of the punchline? <laughs> Timing. It was so simple. <laughs>